we needed to own the narrative so that we can take pride in our culture and then we can rehumanize ourselves and people can actually listen to our stories from us, not from someone who's telling the stories about us. Welcome to the second series of Making the Difference. I'm Kirsty Gilchrist and I'll be talking to leaders and pioneers around the world who have a vision and have a plan as to how to get there. We discuss what drives them and what gets in the way, as well as what they've learned on their journey. So join me as I speak to those who are making the difference. From his initial training as an engineer to reach international cinematic screens, Abdul's journey is one of courage and conviction. He founded not just one, but two groundbreaking companies in the world of media production. His vision? To use the power of storytelling to reshape social narratives within Egypt and beyond. Today's conversation explores how Abdul is rewriting the script on Western portrayals of Arabs and Africans by giving voice to authentic stories from his homeland. In building a creative industry from scratch in Egypt comes challenges aplenty. Cultivating talent pools without precedent, attracting backers, pushing creative boundaries while staying true culturally, balancing impact with income, all part of Abdul's extraordinary narrative that continues unfolding even as we speak. Welcome today to um, the episode of Making the Difference. I am with a very special person. And this episode, we're going to be delving into the importance of developing positive cultural identity in Arab and African nations. And the pioneer I'm speaking with to today has already started a whole industry to make this happen. So, Abdul Rahman Khedda of Giraffix, hello. Why don't you tell us something about yourself? and sort of introduce yourself and, and, and how has Giraffics come about? Hi, Christy. Thanks for having me. I little something about myself. I started two media production companies, one live action studio, and the other one is the animation studio that we're talking about now, Giraffics. I studied engineering, which is something way different than, than what I'm doing right now. But I guess I found myself, and I believe I found myself since I was in a, of a very young age, fascinated with the media industry. So that's who I am right now. And uh, Giraffics is an animation studio based in uh, Cairo, Egypt. We do, I mean, animated content, and I guess we're going to talk about it more, right? Yeah, yeah, we will do. So... The last time we spoke, you sort of talked me through your journey. So you you'd been started off doing engineering, but you knew that you wanted to make an impact in some way and you might be able to earn lots of money doing engineering, but there was still something missing. So what is the difference that you are already making and, and want to make and, and how? I, I guess some people are born this way or, or maybe were raised this way, but Somehow I found it in me that I truly struggled with working for a company without feeling the immediate or at least the future impact of what I can do or what I'm doing right now. So that's why I felt like engineering was not at least working for petroleum companies or, or, or any of the, of these industries. I didn't see myself in uh, working in this field anymore. So. For me, as someone who grew up watching a lot of movies and um, as someone who's my father used to uh, teach us a lot of morals and a lot of, uh, a lot of things about life through watching movies. So we would watch a movie and then after we'd reflect 
on the movie and then he would ask us what we learned from this movie. So I guess it was somehow embedded in me that media makes the most impact that I can achieve and that actually media can be used as a vector of change. So since I was in college, when we started our first company, Exeer, and for us, we felt like, okay, we're going to use music videos, music, short films, or feature films to make a change, to influence people, to have some sort of a societal impact. And it kind of worked. Mm -hmm. and, and we did a lot of projects and a lot of films, like music videos or documentaries or a feature film on many of the societal issues that we had in Egypt and, and we had uh, around the region. And at some point, we felt like we can do this through animation as well. And that's why we started Graphics, so that we can do the same, but with younger age, so that we can have an impact. So so the two companies are different. So Axir is trying to make an impact using what we can do best, which is filmmaking. Graphics, we're trying to tell our own stories, find our narrative, own our narrative, find our representation in, in the animation industry so kids from my from our region can, do not have to face the same challenges that we faced growing up, not being able to find the representation in this industry at all. Yeah. And, and so you were saying that you kind of, you found your voice essentially in 2011 and sort of around the Arab Spring. And I know that you, you had started making music or, or videos. What do you think, what do you think it was that made them so popular? Because you got quite a few downloads, didn't you, when you, when you first started putting these out? And that's, you know, it, it felt like, ah, okay, there's something here. So I, I guess it was, I mean, I have to say it was a little bit of luck, a little bit of God's will, but I guess what it was, truly it was that we were um, extremely genuine and were trying to be authentic because it was our voice and we represented a big chunk of the youth in Egypt somehow, a big percentage. So for us, we were not trying to make something viral. We were just trying to speak our minds and say what we felt back then or what we're feeling now. And, and somehow we took a little bit of a risk with an alternative music forms, with, with something that was not part of the scene back then in Egypt, the music scene back then in Egypt. And it, it somehow paid off because finally people felt like, Wow, so these, this company or this channel on YouTube or this team speaks our minds or this team can actually, I can relate to what they're saying and making more. And, and that's when we felt like, okay, so this is the spot. We did it and it was good. Let's capitalize on this. And we kept, again, kept just speaking our minds. We kept, whenever we face an issue like, okay, let's talk about it. Let's write a music. Let's write a song about it. Let's do a music video about it. And we did it again and again and again. And every time we, we are more confident that people find this appealing because they can relate to it, because it is their voice, because we are representing them. When we found that, okay, we can do this. How can we utilize this or what we do best to talk about more and more societal issues 
So talk about gender equality, domestic violence, uh, sexual harassment, refugee crisis, regular migration. And we're able to talk about all this again while going viral and then introducing this type of music or media production that actually is appealing. It's fun to watch, but also makes an impact. Yeah. And I mean, and that did go slightly wider, didn't it? Than just your local, just sort of Cairo or, or Egypt, because you also did a film on Netflix. Is that correct? Yeah. So, so our actually music videos were, were, were viral all over the region and mostly with most of the Arab speaking countries or people. And I guess we also had, according to the statistics, I don't remember it back then, but we had viewers from all over the world somehow. Again, small percentages, but it was good. And then at some point when we... So the thing is, the, the thing that we were able to do was... So people, it's, it's, it's true, people do not want to watch a boring video about a certain cause or a certain issue. No one wants to watch a, a montage or a, a very two hours or three hours interview talking about, for example bullying or sexual harassment, right? People wants to be entertained. And we somehow, we were able to crack this formula of creating entertainment, but again, talking about specific issues, and, and we do not create this. It's, it's been in, in the cinema and, and the music scene for very, for many years, but in Egypt, it was not still uh, famous. And and that's when we, we were like, okay, so we can do it with music videos. Can we do more stuff like this? So we tried PSAs, social experiments, and, and then short films, and then documentaries. And we're like, okay, so this is working. What, what if we can do this in a feature uh, long uh, film? And that's when we, when we're talking with our lifelong partner, you and women, and we're like, okay, we, we have this and we want to do this. And because we've been, we've been partnering with them over, uh, um, over the years on many projects. They were like, okay, let's try and do this. And that's when we started working with this feature film and it got many awards uh, in the US, Egypt, Lebanon, and, and many countries. Actually, I don't even remember the, the, the awards that we had, but it was a lot. And, and then it was released in the cinemas in Egypt, theaters in Egypt, and it stayed for a while. And then it was then disseminated in Netflix and many other streaming services. It has subtitles and, and, I mean, the feedback is of the film is good. I mean, people love it, so I'm I'm glad actually that people like it. Yeah. So the name of the film is Between Two Seas. So this was Axir. So there was something about the fact that that was you talked about the authenticity in your voice, and people really caught on to that. And why had they caught on to it? Is this something that had never happened before? Yeah, it never happened before. We've seen a declining in, in the industry for years. And again, with the music scene, we never had the alternative music scene. We only had few famous mainstream artists that were able to make it. But again, with two, again, I, that's why I'm saying also a lot played a part of it because with 2011, with the rise of social media, Facebook, YouTube, etc., and, and with the rise of social media, there came, and then with the Arab Spring and everything, the music scene started to change across the region. And then you have more underground bands and underground artists making it to be more commercially appealing, more people listening to it. 
So, so I guess again, it was it was the right time and and the right move and and luck and and yeah. So, but it wasn't it wasn't there. It wasn't it wasn't famous. It's just quite interesting because talking, I suppose, about that kind of cultural identity and being able to have that voice that that others around the region were listening to and were like, wow, okay, actually you're representing us. It's really interesting because at the moment, I suppose, in the West, everything is going to national identity rather than cultural identity. And But then you have also, I suppose, had exposure throughout your whole life or for generations since Western TV's been out there that is you're just listening and watching Western TV. So it feels then since the Arab Spring that there's there's a sort of a, a cultural revolution beginning to happen that you're a part of um, that's very different from what's happening on this side of the world by the sounds of it. I mean, I grew up watching American cinema, Italian. I mean, I, I watched a lot of... I, I, I still do watch a lot, a lot of movies. I mean, I have a huge list. Like, people call me for recommendations and I watch every... I mean, I'm not like a, a person that watched like mainstream theatrical famous movies like the box uh, office hits and i don't just watch the indie art house films mm-hmm. i watch everything i can watch an estonian film that may- maybe only the director watched and i also watch like big famous box office hits the one that uh, maybe many directors call that it's not even cinema, it's more of an entertainment. So I grew up watching them. I grew up learning a lot of, from them, from these movies. But I also grew up feeling misrepresented in, in these movies, feeling, feeling the extreme racism or, or the, the, the injustice that many of these movies that I still like made me or made someone like me from Egypt, who's ha- who has an Egyptian name, Arabic name that no one can pronounce, of course, and and a different accent. So it made me feel. It made many people of my generation, and older generation, even younger generations, feel small or like feel bad about themselves. And and that's because we were never one. We never had a, a representation, and two, we were even misrepresented in many 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 of the american movies and french movies and 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 western movies in general and that's why we felt like okay so now it's our time if i can do this and i can find my voice too and i can we have the voice for people in our region then we now need to find our own representation on the global scale yeah whether it's live action or animation and then the narrative and owning the narrative. We, we, we needed to own the narrative at some point. We needed to own the narrative so that, so that we can take pride on in our culture and then we can rehumanize ourselves and people can actually listen to our stories from us, not from someone who's telling the stories about us. And, and I'm not only talking about, I'm talking about the Middle East and Africa because we share the same issue. Yeah. And you have lots of stories to tell and it's not about just creating stories that you may wish to tell that are happening now but it's also being able to retell stories 
from the past and that kind of cultural identity, isn't it? That, that just isn't being told or exposed to for us in the West. I mean, I talked about XE, right? And then now when we started graphics, graphics started as a simple motion graphics video. Yeah? Just was just there to make to like, it was our money making machine. And at some point, again, we felt we felt like, okay, I can just make money. I need to find something that we can do. And because especially my business partner, he grew up watching a lot of animation movies. I mean, he has a lot of Woody from Toy Story. He loves Toy Story. He has all the G.I. Joes on his desk. He has a Woody. He has all the Toy Story characters. And he watched it in even the dubbed Egyptian Arabic and it was famous around the region. And so, and Monsters Inc. and everything. And again, when we were talking, because I was back then more of the live action guy and he was the animation guy. And at some point we're like, we don't, why we don't have animation movies? So again, in Egypt, there was cinema, there is cinema, but we never had the animation industry in the region. And we felt like, okay, maybe we should start working on this. And that's when through Giraffics, we decided to, what if we, we have uh, a significance? What if we can create something? And then when we looked over Africa and the Middle East, both still are very far behind in the animation industry. Both are still misrepresented. Both are still not being able to own their narrative. And both have a lot of stories to tell. It's, it's the oldest continent we have in, in Egypt has an, an interesting spot because it connects, it's, it's part of the Middle East and it's, it's the heart of the Middle East. We, we, we are 110 or 120. And I don't even remember how, how many we are now, a million people. And then we're also part of, part of Africa and our dialect is the most understood among the Arab region. And, and somehow we felt like, okay, and we have a lot of stories dating back to the pharaohs and, and, and we have an, an, an amazing and long ancient history and, and, and modern history. And we, most of the religions crossed in Egypt and Sinai, uh, whether it was Jesus, Moses. So for us, we have a lot of stories and we have a lot of writers that none of their books were made. And again, even our present, it's, it's diverse, it's culturally vibrant and no one I mean, no one has seen this before from the world. I mean, at least not told by us. If they saw something, it's truly misrepresented. I mean, till like very, I mean, a few years ago, there was, I don't know if it was Transformers or which movie that even it was shot in Egypt in the modern time. And again, they show it as pyramids and the desert, which is, and, and again, I mean, being in 2023 and, and someone asked me if, we have something other than the desert in Egypt. That's a bit, I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so what difference do you think it will make? I mean, I know that sounds like a, a, an obvious question, but it would be really interesting for you to be able to explain from your perspective if, you know, you, you have created an, or you're creating this industry and you can tell and you have your own narrative for future generations, what difference do you think that will make? I mean, what difference it won't make? I mean, for first, let me, I mean, I don't want to get political about this, but 
as an, a Muslim Arab Egyptian guy who's been traveling a lot over the world and an Arabic name, even when when someone compliments me because of my work or or even because of how I look or how I sound, they usually they're like, "Oh wow, you, you you're Egyptian." So, but you you born in the U.S. So how, how long have you been living here? I was like, "No, I live in Cairo." Wow, it's amazing. You don't you don't look like it. I was like, and, and and then at some point I was young and I thought that it was a compliment, but then I discovered that ah okay, so it's it's not a compliment. It's not a compliment at all. So so I really don't want anyone to go through this. I don't want I don't want people from this region or even all over the world actually to to grow up feeling watching movies over and over again and movies that they want to enjoy but over and over and over again feel excluded from excluded and even when you're included you're not truly included you're included as the villain or like misrepresented yeah so it's 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 really so i I didn't want this to happen and again what makes the most difference is when we make animation shows and movies to kids we want them to feel like to own their own narrative and culture to see the the jobs in in this country and to see the people of this country, the language of this country, and our, our culture, our, our own heritage, when they watch it and then and they love it, and then they buy toys that look like them, they buy merchandising that look like them, then they would grow up extremely proud of who they are and being part of this world and this universe and feeling equal to everyone around the world, right? And and we don't we don't want just to do this with this region. But our our somehow our policy is, I want to tell stories about many of the other countries that are misrepresented. But I'm not going to do the same game that was that's being done. Um, if I'm going to tell a story, I'm going to help people from this country to tell their own stories while supporting them. Honestly, the difference the difference because it's it's still untapped territory. Um, every step and every small step that we make is going to make a progress and. The good thing also that can come out of this is the world actually finally, when they listen to stories from Africa by Africans, when they listen to stories from the Arab region by Egyptians or Lebanese or Saudis or Moroccans, Tunisians or or Palestinians, then they can actually see them as equal. And then you, you counter that. The, the the 60 or 70 years of the dehumanization of this continent. Yeah, no, I completely understand. So what's the plan then? For example, I mean, we've been working on, on this feature film. And again, it's, it's an animated feature film. And what makes it different is it's going to be Egypt's first and, and most probably this also this region's first feature film. So we've been working on it. So we have still a lot of obstacles. But we were lucky that we worked last year on the Disney Plus anthology, Kizazi Modu. We worked on it with Triggerfish, which we love their vision. Their vision is amazing. They're also doing the same for Africa. They're based in, in, in South Africa. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to create and grow the animation industry in Africa through empowering different studios. So we worked with them on two films of the anthology. And we saw how any filmmaker that you're going to meet or any or most of the people who make 
uh, work in this industry, when they do something, when they create something, they look at it and they would say that, mm, you know what, I, I feel like I could have done it better. I, I don't really like it. But with Kizazi Moto, the whole, the whole show, I mean, we worked on two films, but the rest of the films, it's 10 episodes. It's every film and every episode is amazing. Amazing. It's vibrant. It's fresh because, because it's the first of its kind. No one, I mean, it was the first to hear African directors and writers and artists working on African stories from different cultures, different countries. It's, it's, it was, it's, it's magnificent. One of the most amazing animated shows I've, I've seen. And, and also I love our, the two episodes that we worked on, but the whole show is amazing. And this show gave us a push that if we were able to work on this, if Triggerfish was, was able to put this in Africa, working with African studios with also Disney plus, then this can happen again and again and again throughout Africa. And we also can do this in the Middle East and in North Africa. So the plan is we're trying to create different types of content. So we have the extreme high budget and long production things that we're trying to work on and hopefully it gets picked up soon because again, it's, it's something different. Yeah. And then right now we're trying to create the kids content that can be affordable and then we can produce more and more and more episodes in the region for kids in this region so that it can be appealing to the parents and the kids. And, and of course, we're still, because content, as we said, it's not really, it would be the first time to do, be able to do this in Egypt. So on the side, we have to keep doing a little bit of animation advertising, animated advertising, animated commercials to make more money and then use this money to create more IPs until we make this line work. What to you, how many people would be in an industry that you you created an, an ideal industry, which, which is kind of the engine for this in, in Egypt? And obviously you can start to support other other industries develop. In, in the future or now? Uh, well, actually, what, what would the future look like and what is it now? Because I know that you're, one of the things is because it's, it's new is that you actually have to train up and skill animators don't you it's really a, a question of what comes first the egg or chicken uh, so for us when we're like trying to see how we can do an animated feature in egypt and then we discovered that okay there are not really enough artists to be able to pull an animated feature in egypt and because there is not so some say that so there's no really animated movies or like big animation shows, etc., because there are not enough artists. And some say there are not enough artists because there are not enough animation work in, in the country. So for us, we discovered that we, yes, there's not, I mean, we have an amazing talents. We have amazing talents in Egypt and in this region and in Africa. And they draw like I've never seen before. Their concept art is amazing. Their art direction is amazing. But still, we need more and more and more to be able to do more productions. So if it's the first step, what I dream is it doesn't have to be our first movie, but I would love to for our second movie to be to be able to do the whole production in Egypt with Egyptian artists. Again, I love it has an edge working with people from all over the world. So we work with artists and I mean, at, at some point, 
our team had artists in Brazil, Peru, Philippines, Russia, Ukraine, Cyprus, Turkey, London, and Egypt, and Palestine. So at some point, we had this amazing, vibrant, diverse teams, and, and South Africa. So we, at some point, we had all these artists working together. So again, it's amazing. And when I say that I want to make a full movie in Egypt, it doesn't. it's not because I want to do it just in Egypt and not work with other people, but because this is it is going to be a sign of the success of this industry that now you can do a full production in Egypt. So in the future, then you can do two, two films, then three films. Then this industry keeps growing and growing and growing. So you've already got a community of just a global community of content creators and animators that, that you can, that I suppose appears to be able to help bring on others. And, and then that industry can grow in each of those different countries that, that you're, you're looking to. So exciting. Yeah, it's, it's actually exciting. Yeah. So when will this first feature film be finished? We started working on our first feature film. It's called The Grand Night. It's an Egyptian old theatrical opera. And it's a folkloric opera in Egypt. And it's, it's, we loved it. I mean, our parents grew up and they took us to watch it. And then we, we decided, okay, so we want to do this into an animation uh, feature. And yeah. then we created a minute and a half pilot. And we wrote the story in 2018 and we started traveling to be able to sell it. And that's when people, when they saw what we, what we drew and animated, they loved it because for them, it was different than everything they've, they've seen. The colors, the architecture, the backgrounds, the concepts. Yeah. It was different because it was based on our visual library in Egypt. Yeah. And I remember one of the meetings we had, he became a, a good friend of ours. He watched that trailer and, he, and then he was like, you know what, this is amazing, and this is going to win an Oscar one day. And then in our minds, me and my business partner, we felt like, okay, so we started to prepare our Oscar speech in our minds, and then asked ourselves what, what we would wear, yeah? And we thought it was going to be easy, but it's definitely not easy, and it's definitely not easy to do the country's first feature. And we had to stop and, and, and we discovered that we have to, to find the partner first before going to production because you need someone to finance it, etc. So then we found the Disney opportunity and we worked on and we stopped working on the film. Back then when we were extremely excited, we were like, okay, we need to push ourselves. So we set a release date and we're like, the film is going to be, it's coming soon in 2022, yeah? And we didn't even have a script. We just had a story and the trailer and the concept art and everything. But we didn't even, like, we didn't even, not even start the production. We didn't start anything, yeah? And, and, and now, I mean, last year, in, in 2022, people started, like, asking us, where's the film? Where's the film? I mean, we never, we write a post. Someone, I mean, there's what, there was this one person who would send us a DM on Instagram every week asking us about the film. We're like, you know what? We're sorry. <laughs> we didn't take anyone's money. We made a promise that we couldn't keep, so we're sorry about this. So so right now, I, I, I'm never going to promise with a release date again. But right now, there was a progress in the Grand Night because we, 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 have, we have a partnership now with Triggerfish in South Africa. We're working on the film together. We're writing the script. We just got a little bit of funding, also funding, development funding from 
the Red Sea Fund in from the Red Sea Film Festival in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia. So we have this fund. We're we're writing the script now. We're we're gonna double a little bit again with the visual development of the film, and then we're gonna start our selling process, meeting different partners, companies, streaming services, trying to sell it. And once we do, once we set a production date, then we can finally say that okay. So hopefully, with this timeline and plan, we expect this movie in three years or two and a half years, etc. So yeah, yeah, we're hoping soon. But I mean, <laughs> how lo- how long is soon? But I I love that strategy of though that being able to because you have no idea how long is a piece of string. So being able to say right here's a date, let's just go for it, and then you. Just, Try and go for it. And if you don't meet it, that's fine. Because then you go, all right, like you say, you haven't met it. It's like, okay, but now we know what we need to do to get into place. And that's fine. Yes. What What are the biggest barriers for you or for, for your vision? So as I said, it's still a very young industry. So there's this challenge. Um, not so many people can say that they did this before. So we're trying to to build our first pipeline, animation pipeline, to find the technical resources, to find the enough artists to do this. So that's the first. Second, find the financing and, and people who can actually believe that this industry, it's about time to have this industry grow in this region. So that's the second. Uh, a third uh, challenge is, um, I guess, also is trying to, because again, we are trying to tell our own stories, but in a global format, yeah, because yeah. yes, I'm gonna, I'm speaking to this region, but also I'm speaking to the whole world. So for me, it's it's also different because we're trying, not only we're trying to do something that's not been done here before, but also we're trying to do something that's not been done here before and for the whole world. So so it's also this, and and I guess they're like, so it's, it's as I said, every step we take is gonna improve a lot, but it's because... There are like a lot of obstacles and a lot of challenges. Honestly, I can say that it's fun one because because you can feel the improvement. You can enjoy every step and every piece of success and every uh, development that you make. Yeah, and that, that's a really important point you make as well. Is that you're you're making it different in terms of that cultural identity, but it is that global perception too. And that's two huge things. Try and change. You know, which can't be done quickly because people don't catch up that quickly. So it's it'll be about constant content coming out that reiterates everything that you're doing over a period of time, isn't it? In order for that to to begin to work. But personally, what what would you say are the biggest barriers that you have had to overcome as a pioneer, as a leader in this? I guess. For me, it was different because not only I had to face the barriers of like the challenges of starting my own company and shifting career from engineering and starting my own company without investments, bootstrapping, learning all this. But also you add to this trying to find the line to make an impact while also trying to make money and creating a sustainable business that that was a bit hard for us to to find this fine line and for me i'd love uh, i used to say that running at what we call i mean i don't like names but if we can call this a social business because 
we have a, a, a specific vision. It's like juggling two balls, yeah? So if you drop the business part, then you end up with an amazing vision, amazing mission, amazing everything, but it's not sustainable. And most probably it's, you're going to shut it down. It's going to go bankrupt. And if you drop the impact part or like the vision part of your company, then you end up with just a money-making machine that it doesn't make sense anymore. So that was the challenge for me is to try to keep finding the balance between two of them. And, and for me, it was always challenging because it's not always easy. And then after X year, when, when we started graphics and we've been trying to do this also with even graphics, it's for me at least, and I guess also for the team and for my business partner, it's more challenging because we, we used to say that animation teaches you patience because everything takes a lot of time. I mean, you can shoot an ad like a minute, uh, a minute uh, commercial, like a feature film. You can shoot it in, in two months. Yeah. Three months. You can shoot the ad, a one minute ad or like two minutes ad in a day or two. And then you do the post production, you do the editing, the VFX, everything. And then you deliver the ad in, 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 in no time. With animation, this one minute, it can take up to two or three months of continuous work. With an animated feature film, you can work on it for like three years or like four years or two and a half years. So with animation, so the production takes a lot of time. It teaches you patience, but also the before the production, when you're trying to break the barrier of this industry and trying to do something that's not been done before, the down moments are definitely more, more and more and more than the up moments for us somehow. And I suppose it's about managing expectations, isn't it, of, of those who, who you're working with. How, how many are in your team? We're 20 in, in the team, full-timers, but also as a company, we have access to many more talents in our talent pool, and that's when we work with them on project basis. But the core team, that the ones that control the vision of the project that we work on are 20. And, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's tough. Uh, and, and you learn to set expectations the hard way because then you feel like it's going to be easy. But and, and at some point, it's easier to give up than continue this process because then you feel like, okay, maybe I just keep working on in the advertising and make money out of it. It's, it's somehow easier, but at some point when you, when you, again, when you make the little things or like that, when you do a big project, like the Disney project, then it gives you a push, a mental push for like two or three years. And then you do something and people remember you by this pilot that you did, or this thing that you did, or like you gave another studio the push to actually also try to do something their own then it's, it's, it's amazing. And I suppose that's where the fire in the belly comes, isn't it? Because a fire in the belly doesn't, doesn't come from just a check uh, or money coming into the bank. I mean, that would help. But it's like, actually, every time you're sick, you're trying to make a difference. So every time you see that actually you're making a difference, even if it's quite small, you know you're on the right track. And it's like, yes. Yes, yes yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, and for me, it comes with this and comes with the ideas that makes you feel like, oh, oh, okay, I can actually make a bigger impact using this. So for me, the past few months were about 
what if we start training more artists to do this in, in different countries? So this idea, we had it, and I kept working on it. For me, it was interesting because then you're, you're doing animation and also learning and development and teaching, and you're creating a bigger talent pool. You're enriching the skill set yeah. of the artists. You're enriching the industry. So for me, starting more initiatives and more verticals from the company, it, yeah. it excites me. And and also whenever like when I meet someone and they're like, Oh wow, you're you're this person from Giraffics, I know this and this would be something that actually we're just trying to work on because the so when people like know us through the Grand Night, which is our feature film that we're trying to do, and not on uh, our many ads, it excites me more because then people are following and are interested in more in our vision more. Yeah. yeah, and you know they're engaged, which is amazing. So what three things would you say to any anybody else who, who wants to, well, to any other pioneer who wants to follow their vision? To any, anybody else who's listening who's just like, right, okay, I've got a vision and I want to do it. Okay, so first thing is, obviously I'm going to talk about this because this is what I've been uh, working on the past two years. It's again when I when I talked about the downs, the ups and the downs. You need, I mean, for me, I benefit from. I, I, that's what I'm trying to do right now. Is I try to benefit from my downs and my ups, whether it's mentally or business wise. Uh, it's mm-hmm. like setting your expectation and knowing that it's truly a learning experience. Everything you do, every mistake you do. I know there are like a lot of talks over the past five, six years about the fuck up nights, the making mistakes, etc., and accepting them. But it's always more theoretical. And when you're in this, you mm-hmm. face the challenge of, am I doing this right? Am I doing, is it enough? Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I should give up. So this is important, managing the downs and the expectations and, and trying to, to, work it, to work it out, especially with your business partners, and always trying to end your team and always try to push each other. Second one is it's so easy to lose sight of your vision when the money comes. Mm-hmm. It's so easy because then when you find a path that's full of struggles and it's tough and it's it doesn't seem to, to end and there's no light in it and then you have something with the money, it's so hard to say no to the money uh, back then, but honestly, when you say no to something that's not aligned with your vision, the excitement that comes out of it—it's amazing. I mean, the the number of times that I said no, and it doesn't come often, but the number of times that I said no over the course of the past twelve years of my journey, I still remember every time, and I still I still feel absolute pride in in my decisions. And honestly. These number of no's that you say, it's definitely not going to destroy the company. But most probably, if you don't say the no, then most probably you are going to deviate from your vision. And then at some point, you're going to wake up and you're going to ask yourself, what, what happened and when did this happen? And when did I lose track of my vision? Because once you achieve this vision and once you reach phase where you're actually you don't really achieve a vision but once you reach a phase that you're actually satisfied with what you've done then you're gonna 
be proud of every no you said and every compromise you made. Third point would be the most important thing is to be able to, to do this, to follow your vision is your business partners and team. Because, I mean, I'm, I'm completely honest with myself. I would have never did this. I, I would never do this alone. I would never start a company alone. I would never, I mean, it's. I'm never going to do this. Having business partners, one or two, and having amazing team or like management and amazing employees, they truly help you see and if they actually believe in the vision and believe in your transparency and your authenticity because people are smart. They're going to know if you don't walk the talk, but when they know that you walk the talk and when they actually believe and buy your vision, then you're gonna, they're going to do anything and they're going to be your backbone and support in this vision. They're going to help you when you when when you say these no's, the the people around you in the company will support you. I tried this. I tried being transparent, walking my talk, and actually compromising a lot when it comes to profits or money, and in favor of my the team and the vision. Because you can't really also it's it's really important. You can't say that you make an impact, but you're running a bad culture company because then it doesn't work. Change comes from within. So. If you say that I'm trying to make an impact, I'm trying to change the world or, or, or whatever, but then you have a bad working culture, people don't like each other, it's toxic, then it doesn't work. So once you walk the talk, once you sell the vision, once you hire the right people for the job, once you find the good business partners, then it becomes more bearable. It's so common as well. I mean, I've, I've actually had a recent experience where an organization is trying to make a difference from the outside, but actually inside it's, it's quite toxic. And you sort of forget about that. Actually, I, I guess, and I don't want to generalize, I guess that's the majority. Even, even I, I, I fell in this mistake some years ago when we first started because you, you really lose your sight because when you, when in your mind, you keep saying why it's so in, in countries, companies that are trying to change the world is you keep saying that, yes, but because we have this vision, so we have to compromise on this. So you keep compromising. Until you actually you're 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 not changing the world anymore. You're you're really leading a very toxic environment. So yeah. yeah. No, that's brilliant. Okay, so we're nearly at the end. So my last question is how can listeners help you in your next steps? I mean, we'd love to see your support. Follow our our accounts on social media, sign up for our newsletter. Our newsletter is truly exciting because it's more original content that we try to create for people to educate them on the animation on the animation industry in, in this region. If you want to hire animation companies, then we are there, hire us, because then you're actually participating in the cause and in what we're trying to do. And I mean, helping us means helping other by empowering artists from different other countries. So if you want to work on, for, for example, a project about a specific countries, then hire students from these countries. If you want yeah. to work on, on projects through this, uh, then hire people from Egypt, hire graphics or, or whatever, and reach out to us and, and see if you feel like there's some sort of partnerships that we can do or work together. We're more than interested in this. Now, that's wonderful. I, yeah, I'm so excited for you. Really am looking forward to uh, seeing where you go next. And then coming to Egypt and seeing a thriving industry. 
<laughs> Thank you. I'm actually excited also. Well, I really, really appreciate the time that you've taken um, to speak to me. I know that time is, is precious. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Making the Difference. Please like and subscribe to wherever you listen to your podcasts and tune in next week for another episode of Making the Difference. If you have any thoughts, comments or questions, please find me on Instagram, linked in the show notes, and please also subscribe and review. Thank you for listening to Making the Difference.